0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to an edition of Bigfoot America's Creek Devil. We changed the name recently. We just added Bigfoot in America's so that people could find the show more easily Um, And if you have trouble finding it you can go on YouTube and look for my channel Which is just William Jevning, and and it'll bring all the shows up. So uh, Forrest Chuck and I are talking to Bill in New York. Bill, how are you today?
2: Good good. How are you guys?
0: Good, good. So, a good friend of mine, Gail Beatty, in New York, um, sent me some pictures that you took, and I guess we can go ahead and start with that, or start where you like, because you you told me earlier you had some other things that you'd been involved with.
2: Yeah, well, <clears throat> as everybody knows, uh, my name is William, and uh, I'm an outdoorsman, an avid outdoorsman, and um, I got in- involved into the Bigfoot stuff. I didn't, you know, through a couple of friends. You know, I do a lot of hunting, fishing, trapping. I'm a survivalist. I have my own page beyond the backwoods. Uh, I do a lot of, um, you know, urban survival, wilderness survival, and all that stuff. Um, Yeah, I send my uh, photos to Gail because um, I, I work in New York City, so I commute. I have a house upstate in Sullivan County in Hurleyville. And, um, I have a, you know, these doorbell cameras and anything that motions in front of it, like bear, deer, uh, dog, sometimes a neighbor's dog cameras go off. It takes video and it takes pictures. And, um, while I was in the city, you know, the phone rang twice and then I got those photos.
0: Forrest, Chuck, you guys want to, uh, jump in there?
3: Well, you weren't weren't even home then at that point in time when the pictures were taken.
2: No, not at all. But the the ironic thing about it was we're in the the month of November, which is hunting season. And across the street where that photo was taken is 300 acres. There's a lot of hunters over there. Um, That day before that photo was taken from the camera, uh, my girl called me and uh, she said that a deer got hit last night you know, in front of the house, right by the driveway, by a car. And um, I looked in the camera, I see the police lights and I says, is everything all right? He goes, yeah, it's a you know, small buck. So I told her, you know, just drag it in the garage, you know, get the, the paper, you know, the state trooper to sign the paper if they don't want it, you know, butcher it up and save it for the meat. But fortunately my girl doesn't know how to gut them out or none of that stuff. So what she did is she decided she didn't want it. So she took it across the street. In the same area, about, let say, about 100 yards into the woods and left it there. So, what happened was um, when I got back home, I go back and I go to look over there and the deer was gone. And the funny part about it was that there was some signs of the paunch of the internals of the, uh, of, you know, what deer ate, you know, the grass and whatever it was. There's signs there. And she had put a trail cam. We've gotten coyotes and fox on the trail cam around the deer. But here's the, the funny part was that the deer simply vanished. Now, for a coyote to drag this deer, um, it would have to make a lot of sign. which I'm a tracker. I do a lot of man tracking and wilderness, like animal tracking, and deer, and bear, because I'm, I'm heavily in a big area with bear. So I checked for all the signs for uh, any drag lines, uh, tracks, even the coyote tracks that were present uh and everything else, I didn't see no Bigfoot tracks. But the funny part is, you know, normally if someone something drags the deer, it's going to actually tear some of the hair follicles, you know, and you're going to find like any hair residue or any kind of sign. And, um, you know, I've I've tracked going to woods and I've tracked many coyote kills right to a crime scene and actually evaluate the crime scene I was able, you know, to tell the whole picture. I even did a video for Gary and Utenholler on that. But it's kind of, the funny thing was that there was no sign whatsoever. And there was no, uh, I mean, I checked the whole perimeter. I mean, I was back and forth. I looked for tracks. I couldn't find nothing. But this thing just couldn't simply vanish. There was no sign of people, indications of any person walking over there, uh, you know, to take this animal. So it just simply vanished. But then, then, you know, it's ironic that the next day or so, you know, my camera goes off and here's this shattery figure. You know, you know I'll be honest with you guys. I'm a flesh and blood guy. You know, I believe in Bigfoot and um, but, you know, I'm a flesh and blood guy. I like to look for, you know, all the tall tale signs. Um, but my camera normally would not go off unless there's something present. So that's what kind of, you know, was interesting about the whole scenario. So later on, during hunting season, during the weeks, I uh, tagged out. I, t- I got a nice buck and a doe and. Butchered them up and everything, and I decided to take one of the carcasses and take it to the opposite side of the woods and just put it in in a pile and uh, leave it there and check. And uh, sure enough, it was not hit until like almost a couple of days later. Then I found, uh, you know, that the coyotes chewed on it. But what kind of puzzled me was the hindquarter legs were broken in half. Mm. That takes a lot of power. And a coyote can bite the hindquarter, but he's not going to snap the whole hindquarter just like that. And bear are denned up, so there's no sign of bear at the, at at this point, and there was no activity of bear. And you know, you see coyote tracks when they were eating like the rib cage and stuff? But there was no sign, so kind of puzzled me. So I contacted Dale, I contacted Gary Hootenhala for for NYBS, you know, and uh, we discussed it. And, and I, you know, Dale asked me if she could share the photo. I said, sure, sure. You show it to everybody. Let's see what happens. You know, so to then, you know, that if you look at that uh, photo. If I measured it from standing up, up on that tree, it's approximately by like seven to eight feet. And, um, but it's weird, you know, why would my camera go off twice? I had-
1: what time...
3: Oh, go excuse ahead. me, I'm sorry. To check. What time no, of day was that? I didn't remember seeing a date time stamp on that uh, picture, if there was one.
2: The time of the day it had to be like, uh, during early in the day, early in the morning. You know, as you see in the photo, uh that i submitted to him um it's a cloudy day so even with the uh, shadows in a cloudy day it's kind of a little you know minute unless there's a certain amount of light that's going to go there um normally on uh, my cameras if a car drove by on the road or to activate you know especially with the mm-hmm. game i got deer coming in all the time so it's just i you know like i said i can't say what it is if it is but and i'm being honest and logical about it um but it is very, very intriguing and it's very interesting because there has been recent sightings in New York State and uh, we're all looking into it. But this is in front of my house. This is weird, you know?
1: Well, Bill, I got, I got a couple of things, actually. Um, I actually saw the photo a couple of days ago. It was on, I think it was on YouTube on NVTV, I believe is, is where I saw it. And I was going to ask you what type of camera was it that took the picture?
2: Is that, was I, that I have an AT and T, AT&T. like a I got a home a home bell camera security system.
1: Okay, so yeah, anytime you got any kind of motion in front of your place, it's gonna take a picture. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. All right,
2: and it also has motion sensors, so anything that comes by, I have. Um, sensors around the whole perimeter of the property. I have also trail cams that are motion sensors that will send me a photo through my phone. Okay. You know, because I, you know, I have a couple of acres of land, and I, you know, I do hunt and fish, but I got a lot of bear activity back here, and I got a couple of chicken coops, so I like to keep an eye on the birds.
1: Well, one thing you but, said just just a few minutes ago that really interested me is the the hindquarter was left there. And...
2: Yeah, and the hind quarter was broken in half. And the funny part is that the lower half of the hindquarter from, uh, I would say where the tarsal gland is down the whole hind half of the hind quarter was just simply gone.
1: I'll tell you, I'll tell you a real quick story. Uh, if you guys don't mind, um, there's, there's a buddy of mine. I'm in Oklahoma and, uh, there's a buddy of mine that hunts in this area. That's, that's very wooded. And he, he deer hunts there all the time. And, um, he had a tree stand, and one morning, uh, he was bow hunting. One morning, a doe walked by underneath his stand, and he shot the doe. And uh, he, he waited, like you normally do if you're hunting, and uh, waited about 20 or 30 minutes. And then he, then he went to find the deer. And he, he found a blood trail that led out in the woods, and he followed the blood trail. And he got to a spot where it looked like this deer just bled out. I mean, there was blood everywhere, but the deer wasn't there. And he looked around, that kind of puzzled him. He looked around and and found the trail. He he found another trail going away from that. And it was just little bitty drips of blood. And he followed it. And he followed it all the way back around to where his deer stand was. And at the base of his deer stand was a broken hindquarter sitting at his deer stand.
2: Wow. So. That, I mean, that, I've seen uh, deer, I mean, bear kills. I've seen coyote kills and I I mean, major crime scenes uh, when I do tracking, you know, because part of my uh, training is I do a lot of man tracking and tracking wildlife. So you'd be surprised what you what you see out there. But to find something broken where the femur is is kind of it's kind of ironic. I tried to break it with bare hands, and I just simply couldn't do it. So, that's a very powerful, powerful animal. Whatever did it,
1: absolutely.
0: Forest, what and you The think? funny
2: thing is, with New York oh, in ahead, the New York State region. Sorry, in the New York State region in Hudson Valley, uh, you know, it's it's in New York, in New York itself. this people. Who, How could it be a Sasquatch? You know, this is a short. You know, there's a lot of land. Don't get me wrong. There's tons of wilderness and areas and stuff like that. But it's not as big as like, you know, other states in California or anything like that. But, you know, studying wildlife, I come to realize a lot of things. I learned. I spend a lot of time in the woods. I sleep in the woods for you know, weeks. Sometimes the longest I've ever slept in the woods was a full month. You know, by myself, bear hunting in the Adirondacks in a tent. You know, roughing it up. But um, what I'm trying to get to is that um. A lot of times, you know, these animals will live around in suburb areas. You know, I've killed some of the biggest bucks and deer uh, right behind people's houses in small little bottlenecks and, and fun, what we call funnels. I look for funnels. I don't hunt big areas like state land and stuff like that. I hunt these little bottleneck areas. I put myself where there's pressure in the other areas, where would the deer go? So I kind of think that in the Bigfoot situation, depending on how cold it is up in the mountains, when we get these deep, freezes or maybe something, maybe they come down to the lowlands and they'll, you know, look for food that become like scavengers. And, you know, I've had many times I've drove by and I see a roadkill. And then I come back to go see if I can go get it. Cause I knew it was fresh and come to find out it's gone. I don't know if somebody took it or something else took it, you know, but it's kind of interesting.
3: Well, I think that, uh, you know, the deer and the Bigfoot have been so accustomed to, uh, humans that, uh, I don't think they're as bothered. Well, I know the deer aren't. That's for sure. Um, and a lot of people feed them too, so that gets them coming in too. And but y'all have bigger deer up there. I'm in Texas, and you have uh, your deer are a lot uh, larger than our deer here. And I've also been all over New York, and you've got lots of forested areas up there, and uh, it's thick too. So uh, I I think that what happens is a these animals become uh, accustomed to being around humans. Uh, Bigfoot associate food with humans, and uh, so do the deer, so uh, somewhat too. So uh, it's not un- uncommon to have them come right up into your backyard, and obviously in your front, <laughs> almost in your front yard too. So, <laughs> <and> <laughs> oh yeah, I mean I see them all the time. Yeah, I looked at that picture, and, and that's obviously not a bear. Uh, a bear's uh, legs wouldn't hang Yeah, there's hang no down. There's
2: no way a bear, a, a, Anytime time yeah. you see a bear stand on his hindquarters like that, he's usually either scratching on a tree or rubbing his back on a tree. Um, yeah. You know, a bear are different, you know, than considered a white-tailed deer. You know, when you talk about deer up here and compared to what's in Texas, Texas, you guys got bigger racks of horn. You know, the your coats the coat on your deer over there is a little bit shorter. Ours a little bit more longer. Our racks are are, are are big up here too, but it all depends on the nutrition. Um you know, when Gary Hoot contacted me and I joined NYBS, you know, um and became part of their team thing, I'm just pretty much into tracking animal scouting, uh setting up camp for the guys. Um, you know, making sure everybody's okay and um looking for signs. I'm very deep into finding things. Um but what I learned about being in the woods is not, never go looking for the for the quarry. Let the quarry look for you. Um, and people, one of the biggest things I've noticed that even with hunters, I don't know how it is with the Bigfoot community, but people should pay more attention to the foliage because every month plants are born and certain plants die. So what plants are available? Same thing if I had to take a team of guys and survive in the wilderness and, and teach them which plants are edible and which are not. Just think about, Uh, the woods itself, what food sources are there in that particular month that you're actually either hunting or hiking, camping or whatever it may be. So if each plant is born and each plant dies in each particular month, what is available in that month? So if someone got a sighting on, let's say, the month of December, I want to know not only the tracks, the location and the geography of everything, but I also want to know the vegetation and what's available in the food source. Because sometimes you got to backtrack like people will follow a track and to one particular direction. I don't follow the track. I go backwards. I follow, find out where these animals coming from, where he betting down from. Because 90% of the time, these animals backtrack and go back to where they came from. There are bedding areas as well as travel routes, as well as, you know, just simply looking for food source. What's your take on it?
3: well, I totally agree with you and uh, and I'm real familiar with bear because uh, as uh, will and uh, Chuck know, I spent seventeen years in Alaska, so uh I've seen uh, all manner of bear up there, hundreds of them so um but my question- I have a question here too uh did anybody check for tracks around that uh, yes area? Uh, i
2: checked I checked for tracks I looked around for every little sign you could think of i spent i say pretty much a couple of hours walking around, scanning the whole area back and forth, taking, you know, pins and needles, like being on the ground looking for a blood trail, you know? And the thing is, I, you know, very careful about how I walk through those woods because I don't want to disturb something because a lot of people just walk around prancing around, kicking everything over and you might kick over the evidence that you need to see. Mm -hmm. So I'm very careful. Same thing like I do when I'm tracking bear and deer, you know, I, I gotta make sure I know exactly not to disturb the area. Um, I looked. I could not find nothing. Now i I pretty much find any track, but I really, honestly, could not find a thing. That's what puzzles me so much. Is where the hell did this thing go? Well, well Bill, it like this... maybe the ground
3: was frozen too, wasn't it? Say it again. I said it looked. Up, uh, it appeared that the uh, to me that there was snow on the ground, so the the ground probably was frozen too, wasn't it? Yeah.
2: The ground was solid, frozen. this without a doubt. it wasn't soft snow. Otherwise, I would have had tracks. And even in a let's say an ice storm, I have a video I put that my girl walking across a field in an ice storm, and it shows you how visible the tracks are on an ice storm. So fortunately, there was no signs of track, human track, no nothing. But what puzzled me was the circulation on the ground of where the punch of all the entrails from the punch, you know, like just the greens that came out. Mm-hmm. But it looks like somebody took the greens out of its stomach and just carried the whole body away. So it's kind of, it's just puzzling. I, You know, I've seen deer get carried off by coyotes and, and eaten, you know, the next day from hunters that lost their deer. And we went tracking and they found it for them. And, you know, the carcasses, the whole hindquarters were eaten up and everything else. But I could not find even a speck of hair. That's what puzzled me. So my girl, you know, what the bad thing about it with my girl is I made the biggest mistake was, uh, when she put the trail cams, I said, take it down because I don't want the guys across the road that are hunting, you know, find the camera and take the camera. And, you know, at the time, I didn't never even told her what we have on the camera or whatever. I don't want to spook her because she's out here with her birds and in the middle of the night she'd walk the dogs. So I don't really want to say anything to her because she's the type of person that would panic.
1: Well, was there any kind of precipitation that took place after the, that picture was taken, like more snow or more ice?
2: What do you mean? Say it again.
1: Was there any Repeat. kind of precip that that took place after that picture was? Taken? No,
2: no, nothing at all. All I like, I said, you know, I I, I seen that the something was there. I said, seen the shot anyway. I screenshot it. You know, I got it on the camera because it leaves the picture on there, so you can go to your history on the AT and take camera. You press the button the history, and it shows you what triggered the camera. And then I didn't see nothing. So, but I saw a shape. So I screenshot it. I says, you know what? Let me see. And then I says, let me show this to these guys. The first person I contacted was Long Island Bigfoot, Mike Catanio, who's a friend of mine. And uh, he put it on his page. And then I contact Dale. And then I, uh, Gary Hootenholla, and um, we talked about it. It's like, you know, this is is an odd sign. I can't say it is. You know, I'm being very honest with you guys. You know, to me, I would just say it's a shadow for the moment to, like, find enough evidence, you know. And, uh, but... You can't. There it's, 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 it was a cloudy day. There's no sunlight. And then I gave you a before and after photo, and the whole scenery is totally different. Hmm. So that's what, what puzzled me the most. And why would my camera alert me twice? Yeah.
3: That is, you know, and
2: it's, yeah, it's, it's just kind of crazy. Here I am, you know, talking to NYVS, and, um, you know, I joined their team, you know, as far as the tracking and everything else concerned. And, you know, there's got a couple of things we're going to do. Um, But even me and Gary, we discussed, we're looking for tracks and stuff like that. And then he called me and told me that there's other people that have some tracks and sightings in their area. And fortunately, I noticed that a lot of the people that do find the track they don't take measurements they don't look at the depth they don't look at the width they don't look at certain things they don't look beyond the track and look at the foliage and see the brush pile anything blowing through the you know thickets or whatever it may be uh and sometimes when they send a photo i just notice they send a photo of a track but not the numerous tracks now you know one of the misconceptions i want to let everybody know online is just because an animal could be 6 feet, 7 feet, or 500 pounds doesn't mean they're always going to leave a track. I've got bear back here that is up to 800 pounds. I got photos of bears that were taken across the road. That was, One was pushing up to about like 750, 800. And I got the ones that run locally. And not all the time they leave tracks. Why? Because their pads are so wide. And the ground, depending on the texture of the ground, you know, the ground's hard or is it rainy, and the best time I would rather look is a PA or... You know where the ground is kind of like soft and everything is pushed down but it's really n- not all the time not every animal leaves a track so what do you think guys
0: yeah absolutely oh,
3: you're entirely correct <laughs>
0: yeah no I've, I've been around a lot of bear here in northern california and and usually you only find the tracks in the right conditions
2: exactly and you notice something you never find bare bones
0: you don't i've only seen it one time out of being involved in this for five decades
2: Right, and I've been in the woods all my whole life, and I've yet to find a set of bare bones from an actual, you know, natural death or a kill or something like that. So, like, in people who I was uh, talking with, Gary, and one of the conversations everybody else was talking about, is how can we never find it? I said, not necessarily. You don't know if they bury it, their own dead, or you don't know if, um, you know, they take away the—we don't know. But you know, I said the same thing. You hunt bear all the time, but you never find a dead bear. You're lucky to find more deer dead than than ever a bear. So, you know, no one knows. No one really, really knows.
1: Well, Bill, I'm going to change the angle just a little bit because I'm I'm really curious. Um, the the people up there in New York are are they more susceptible to believing in Bigfoot than? than say others. I mean, you know, Bigfoot used to be taboo down here in Oklahoma, but it's not taboo anymore. Uh, People, there's been more sightings and more encounters and people are beginning to realize that, you know, there's a possibility that these things do exist out there. And I'm wondering if the mindset of the public there is is about the same
2: same way. Well, I, I think the people down here were less likely to believe it exists. You know, um, sometimes, you know, I guess the older generation tend to believe, but the younger generation, not, um, in New York state, there's not a whole lot of report sightings or, uh, depending on the state. Cause you know, like I said, Sullivan County, this, I don't know how many ever heard of in Sullivan County, but in Ulster County, yeah, you know, there's been sightings. There's been sightings in Route 52, which is in, in between Sullivan and Ulster, that many, many years ago that the BFRFO had reported, um. But people over here, it's different. It's more city-like. You know, we used to have an old saying, you know, country boys and city it's and the city it's never believe nothing or know nothing because they never take the time to be in the woods. They'd rather be on a computer. <laughs> well, the country boys spend more time in the woods, so they kind of see more and understand more. Um, but i would be honest with you, the people's uh, thing is, some. I think if people do see something, they're afraid to talk. i would be honest with you. I think there is more people who had experiences, maybe have sightings, but they're afraid to come out with it because they're afraid of the ridicule.
1: Right. And that's the way it used to be down here too as well. I mean, uh, yeah. I, I remember when I had my first sighting, uh, I was laughed at and people made fun of me and I thought, you know, I don't have to really prove it to you. I've proved it to myself. And, and you know, that's what started me on the, the way I am now. I mean, I go to the woods as much as i can and and uh do as much research as i can, so uh, it's just something that happens to you
2: yeah I, I believe so because you know how I got in you know with Gary and them before this even took place um you know, like I said, this is just a bell camera, and I can't distinguish exactly what it is or what it's not, you know um. I mean, I'm being very, very honest. I'm a flesh and blood guy. You know, there's a lot of guys that believe in thousands of things. I look at Bigfoot pages sometimes and I see people taking pictures of shadows and all kinds of stuff. And, you know, it seems like uh, this. And then you talk about people who say cloaking and then you see people talking about, oh, you know what? I just look at it as a realistic form. If I see it, it's there. I'll track it. I'll find it if I, you know, and study it. Um, I had the only Bigfoot experience I had as a teenager it was years ago in Ulster County and Vlyatwood Road near the power line. And um I was hunting on an early morning on a foggy day. You know, was uh, I got out there with my 30 oh six sat on a what we call the power line is all clear cut. And a lot of deer like to conjugate on the power line. So I sat there and looking up the hill and waited and waited and see nothing. And then I felt this feeling and then I look and I see what looked like a bear up in the top in the middle of the power, on the third power line, and he was just standing there peeking at me from the back of, you know, one of the power lines. So I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm saying, man, my eyes are playing tricks on me. I'm starting to get a little, it's starting to get dark out. It's almost time to get out of there. So I said, you know what? Let me put the crosshairs on him. I put the crosshairs on him. I put it on nine power. And I look and I see a pair of eyes. Okay. I couldn't make out the face. It was getting dark too fast. and like, I don't have the best scope in the world. But um, I had a choice right there is that it's definitely an animal to be a bear and I have a chance of actually tagging a bear but then I said to myself it's kind of weird it's just peeking, but it's putting his head back and forth I said you know what if I pull this trigger and hurt this poor animal you know I, I don't know if I can live with myself because these animals are elusive and even if they do exist you know why would I want to hurt them? and you know I'd be honest with you and I had that encounter and I told Gary and a couple of guys and people says, "Oh, how come you never like talked about it? I says, you don't want to be honest with you. I, I, I sometimes if I find something and see some, I don't want people to go out there and disturb its environment. I don't want people over there hunting. You know, if it's a research team that wants to go look, that's fine. But you know, I'd be honest with you. This, these people in New, in New York, some of these hunters are just shooting anything they see sometimes, especially the city people, they, you know, they come up here, they make a lot of mistakes. Um, I think the respect of animals and if something is that elusive, you know, I would admire it and rather study it and find out, you know, over here in New York state, I was in casting Road, right? My, my uh, ex father-in-law's house on in the back. And I called him and I said, listen, there's a mountain lion in the back. He goes, "No, nah, there's no mountain lion. I said, listen, there's a mountain lion and he's walking across the field, get out of your window and look. And he said, he can't see it. If I get from his window. So I called the DEC personally. And I says, listen, there's a mountain lion on, on casting road on route 52. And he says, listen, there's no mountain lion exists or whatever. So I says, what about if I pop this thing right now and bring you a body and show you because you better not shoot it as a $10,000 fine? Right. I said, How could it be a $10,000 fine if they if they, they don't exist? And he says, they don't exist and don't shoot it if you ever saw one. Now, guess what? I think about a year ago, this year or a year ago or this year, the DEC finally admitted that there was mountain lion in New York State. You know, just about a what two or three weeks ago, wild boar crossed over Pennsylvania and the, Del- and the Delaware River. There was a whole herd of boar cross, cross you know, coming to New York State, and an ambulance on on one of the on the throughway just hit a a five hundred pound wild boar. Hmm. So, what about moose? Moose from Canada, you get moose in the Adirondacks, but now in Kingston, New York, in Ulster County, uh, about what few years ago, moose got killed on right on the turn of the exit on Exit eighteen. You know, And there's been a moose on Hunks and hanging out with some guy, Abe Warsh's cows. Fell in love with a cow, Sit there for about a week and everybody took pictures. And then what last week? One in Paulding, New York. So I don't know. It's kind of interesting how nature is just working its way down.
0: You know, we've seen of, that in a know, lot of places though, away. where animals are kind of filling in where people don't do much anymore.
2: Yeah,
3: it's well, I, true. I'm going to have to say, I'm going to have to mention this. When he said the pet a cow... They had a moose falling in love with cows. I actually had a bull moose, young bull moose, that uh, came up uh, <laughs> and was trying to court my mares. When we lived in Alaska, uh, of course my mares would have would have nothing uh, of it, but he would stand at that fence and and oh my God, it was so funny. Uh, he was in love with my horses and. <laughs> and I guess horses actually resemble uh, <laughs> moose more than, than even a cow does. But it was it was the funniest thing to watch that poor young little moose out there. It's like, uh, you need to, to mosey on the And you know, those suckers are dangerous when they're in a rut. Uh, they are extremely yes, dangerous. Yes, yes,
2: yes, definitely. <laughs> definitely. But like yeah. I said, eight, my friend had a cow. I actually fell in love with it. I hung out with this cow for like a whole week. And then if I only decide to leave, people took pictures <laughs> like crazy. And, uh, you know, New York state is abundant with a lot of wildlife and there's a lot of areas that are untouched by man. So we don't know what's up there, you know, hopefully in the spring we can, you know, go deeper into the interior and explore, and we're hoping to get some calls in if anybody calls in and maybe we could check some stuff out. <laughs> Me, I'm just an outdoorsman, you know, I, I'm a survivalist, I'm a prepper, I I have my own page because I teach, you know, if anything, if the grid ever goes down your home and everything else, but at the same time, I do a lot of time with nature and everything because um that's what you got to learn it's just amazing you know how much technology these younger generation have you know like my my uh sister's son says to me he says you know you got to learn the computer you got to learn this and i'm a little bit old school so he says you know this is the future and i says it's amazing how much technology you know but you don't even know what kind of blade of grass grows under your feet Mm. so if i took that away from you and put you outside let me find me some food And they couldn't do it, you know, where they're so out of touch with nature, the new generation. So, you know, this is why kind of like maybe we're seeing more sightings and maybe things are happening because they're being pressured because a lot of people buying out land. You know, since COVID happened, there's been a big rush of people from New York City into New York State buying properties, buying houses. Uh, I think that the the, the influx of so many people coming in is causing, might have created a, a little bit of a problem or, Changing the movement patterns of all wildlife. Well,
3: that's that's funny that you should mention that because I actually had mentioned that to Will um, today, and uh, when we were texting back and forth, that I think that a lot of this, <clears throat> and you mentioned the pandemic uh, also because the pandemic occurred and and nobody was uh, you know nobody was working, all these places were closed down, and all of a sudden they had wildlife. Literally wandering down the streets of towns. Now, I'm not saying they were wandering down the streets of. Uh, New York. No, they were. They were
2: definitely. Were
3: they really? Okay. Well, uh, they certainly. I'd seen a lot of uh, uh, you know, photos of them wandering around uh, the towns. Now, that's not uncommon. And up in Alaska, you might even have bear come in downtown uh, Anchorage there, or even Fairbanks. But uh, they just do that. But, um, you know, all of a sudden places that didn't have this type of uh, be- animal behavior occurring, it was occurring in these towns. And, I mean, they would have uh, deer, you know, walking down and, and, and gazing into the shops and, and and moose and bear and everything else. And, and you, you know, it's got to be going through these animals' minds, like uh, what happened to all the people, you know? And and then plus, just like you said, after the pandemic, you've got all these people, and we're suffering from it here in Texas, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> I, uh we, we just assume all these people that are moving from elsewhere don't come here. Uh, but that's just the way we are here in Texas. But uh, um, And I think that has a lot to do with some of these animals showing yes. up in people's backyards because they're being pressured to move out of their natural habitat. Well, so they got to go someplace to live. You know, an, you know,
2: Exactly.
0: You know, an interesting well, development I've got recently here, and I mean just in this past week, is typically Sasquatch activity is the lowest this time of year, and, and is much higher in the, in the summer and fall. But I've got seven real active locations right now around the country, and it's it's almost unheard of.
1: Well, Will, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't there uh, during during the pandemic? Wasn't there Bigfoot even spotted in downtown
2: areas in some places? Pretty
0: in some of the smaller communities, yes.
2: Yeah, there was one. There was one found. Uh, in Gail's. Uh, actually, brought that up to me. That one in a dumpster in a McDonald's. Uh, by employees uh, was spotted recently. Um, like with the pandemic, you know, I, I was, I was an essential worker, so I traveled from New York State to New York City while the highways were closed. I was the only one allowed uh to go through and to believe me if you should have seen all these deer and the herds all over the roads and the streets and everything and i was like oh my god If somebody comes down here gonna be blasted here all over the place but um i think that happened because um the less amount of people the animals got comfortable and mm-hmm. was able to cross these roads to different areas when we think about bigfoot um the activity and the time of the year, you know, with the snow up in the mountains, we are uh, really cold further up north or up higher in these, um, higher altitudes, I'm sure that the food source is really bad. So they would have to come down to the lowlands and eat, uh, the reason, but when people say, well, we have more activity in the summer. Yes, you do because it's, you know, there's more foliage, there's baby, having babies, the breeding, uh, mostly animals breed during the winter time and they have babies in spring. Um, I think it all depends on the deer activity. I guess if you follow the deer and follow the wildlife, eventually it 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 should assume to follow that. Um, to find one, I don't know. I haven't seen uh, much of anything. I'm be honest with you. I had an experience as a teenager, as a kid, and until this day, I, I just say it's a bear. You know, um, people would think I'm nuts. I could have pulled the trigger and found out, but it was not something a wise thing to do, and something I would never do. You know, and here I am. I live up in New York State. I got a couple of acres of land, and I don't even hunt here. I travel an hour out to another county and hunt in my old honey home where I used to be as a kid. And yet I got all these 30 or 40 deer on my side of the, my woods. Why? Because the 300 acres across the street get pressured and they come onto my side. So I don't even, I put posted signs. So they have a sanctuary, a place to stay. So no one can hunt them. And, you know, and even if I'm a hunter, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't shoot none of them, I see them all the time. So I leave the does alone. When they come in heat, the bucks come out of the woodworks. And then you, if you want to harvest one with a bow and arrow or something, that's fine. But to be very honest with you, um, you know, I, tra- I literally travel far just to go stuff in. People say, you're crazy. You got more deer on your property than where you go. I says, but it's not the same. It's not the same. Same thing with wildlife. You know, even as a hunter it comes to a time when you have to respect nature itself. You know, and when I harvest an animal, it's an old animal that's, you know, past his breeding time and kind of like, pretty much done um leave the little ones to grow leave them alone i mean these guys in these city people and they disturb the woods it's just could you imagine if bigfoot you know is is out there you know uh wonder what must be in them in their mindset of how to deal with the people the dogs uh animals cars traffic you know i mean they could live right under your nose and you would never know Something like you ever see these little bungalow colonies that the Jewish camps we have in uh, in Sullivan County? You know how many bear were seen coming out of the basement of these little colonies. What makes you think a Bigfoot would not live underneath a building, an old structures that were abandoned and stuff? Those are the places I would love to try to explore.
3: Hmm. Your your place sounds like my place because uh, <clears throat> I've got a ton of white tailed white tail deer on my ranch, but I don't let anybody hunt here. Much to the chagrin of my son-in-laws, but, uh, you know.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. You know, it's a sin to kill an animal if you're not going to consume it. And you have to well, respect. They're... I always say a prayer before I go in the woods and a prayer after the hunt. It's just something oh, they, for myself. I hunt even. by myself.
3: <laughs> they wouldn't, you know, just... but I just, I just like my pets here, you know. So I, I can't. <laughs> I mean, they come out here and eat with my horses and everything else. So it's like, no, I could never kill them. <laughs>
2: I have a little bear technique. I want you guys to listen to this and just tell me if this might work for an actual expedition. Years ago, I was invited uh, to do some scouting in, in Skihari County in East Durham, and there's a lot of bear that guys wanted to hunt some bear. So I um, decided to hunt myself on a ridge. So what I did is I, I worked during the... You know, summertime, I had a sweatshirt on and I would sweat like crazy. I'd take it off and nail it to the tree where, up in the top of the ridge. And what happened is when I went to go check that sweatshirt, within two to three days later, it was torn to shreds. So I hmm. took the sweatshirt off and I wore another one during while I'm working and everything. And then I replaced it. I went back a week later. It was still shredded. After the third time, I noticed the shredding was light, It was very lightly. And then after the fourth or fifth time, I got a little bit of a shred. And then the last time, the sweatshirt was untouched. What I come to find out that when I put that sweatshirt there, the bear that came by, he, rec- he, he saw my scent. He let me know, hey, this is my territory. Stay out of here. I know who you are. Um, and his aggression mode was out of a defensive mode. So he was letting me know, stay, You know who he was. And as time went by and he came by and visited, that and he shredded, then eventually he left it alone. And when he left it alone, that gave me the total sign to go hunt this animal because now he recognized my scent. I was no longer a threat to him. So I popped up on my, on a stand, I put up a stand about a hundred yards out during bear season. And I sat there and just before dark, I just could barely see a little bit. Here comes this big body animal. I watched him walk across and he went right to where my sweatshirt would be, sniffed around the tree, turned around and went back the other way. I didn't even harvest them. I left them alone. I just wanted to see, you know, what was actually happening. And I learned that sometimes your introduction of scent, of what you do when you go in the woods, is sometimes it's good to leave something of your scent around so they get accustomed to it. And maybe just maybe, I don't know if it's going to work, I, I can't say it will, but maybe, and it works with deer, it works with bear, it works with everything else. Maybe at some point, an animal will accept you, so your presence, without being alarmed. A lot of times, if they, if they get a little whiff of you, they avoid you like a plague, they're gone, simply gone. So something, maybe that's something, a that, little tip, maybe you guys can check out.
1: That is, that is
2: very interesting. Yeah, i learned that from an old i learned that from an old timer many years ago
0: any thoughts for us
2: yeah i had an old guy he said to me I, once he taught me how to do that and he explained to me i i totally forgot about him years later i remembered and i tried it and it worked he was the crazy guy that I used to laugh at him because every time he went hunting he'd carry a big bag of freaking wooden clocks and i'm like what is this he would put a clock on the tree set the time go down another hundred yards set another clock down a, and then he would sit on a ridge and then at a, early in the morning, the first clock went off. The second clock, there was a herd of deer running. Did an actual deer drive using clocks. <laughs> but this guy was so smart. He was wood savvy. You know, years ago when we were at the camp, uh, I remember as, as a young kid, he was, you know, he said to go out and feed the dogs in the morning. So I, I says, okay. So I went to sleep, and it was my turn to go take care of the dog. He had his big pointer dog in the back. And he had his long chain with a doghouse, and I was sleeping, and I heard noise, the dog screaming, screaming. I was like, what the hell's going on? So I woke him up, I says, hey, Ken, the dog is uh, going crazy. Something's wrong with him. Ah, hey, don't worry about it. He's always barking at the raccoons and hunting all kinds of animals. You know, he's always making noise. Don't, don't worry about it. But then it, the eerie sound again, and I, I said, Ken, something wrong with this dog. He goes, would you go back to bed? And I will get him in the morning, he'll give him, bring him his food and water. That's what he wants. I says, okay, I went back to bed. Got up in the morning. It was pouring out and foggy. I go out to the back. I couldn't even see the damn dog. And I see the chain wrapped behind a tree. I go behind the tree and look to go feed the dog. And his freaking uh, his freaking head was on the collar, but half of his body was gone. Mm. Oh my god! So we free. I freaked the hell out. I ran in the house. I called him. Ken went out there. He was freaking cursing and screaming, and he was like all emotional. So he goes, I know. I said, then we looked around and we found bear tracks. He says, I know where this bear is. He's going to be across the road. He's going to be by McCorkle Swamp. And he's going to be up on this high ridge. I'll be there tomorrow morning. I'm going to get him. And, you know, I just thought he was kind of full of crap, you know, because, but yeah, how are you going to find some? A bear's range is so freaking huge, you know, five square miles. Easy. So, um, sure enough, the next day morning, he called me to, and the boys to come up there with the pickup truck. He had the big boy the huge bear. And he Mm. tagged him, and when he got him out, he found parts of his dog.
3: Mm.
2: And the old man passed away, but he, you know, I kind of, like, learned some of this wood-savvy stuff with him because I found it very interesting. You know, I am not going to walk with clocks, don't get me wrong. I ain't carrying no damn bag of clocks. But (laughs) the sweatshirt technique actually worked, and I do it in my deer stand where I hunt. And you know what? Every time these deer come by, they're not even spooked. They, you know, they 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 can pick up their nose in the air and they're like lax and calm. It's easy for me to put my place my shot placement and make the the shot count. Yeah, well, I, I think would stand
3: he... and reason with them if they become accustomed to the scent, then it's not going to bother them.
2: Yeah, you know, and scent control. You know, I, I I talk with Gary. and all the guys that you know they ask me about putting out scents and stuff. I says it's not going to work. First of all, even with hunters, you can't put dough and heat uh, scent out if the deer are not in heat. You know, you, you know every deer is not the same. Some does come in season earlier than others and, you know, for a certain period of time. And deer know the difference. You know, you can't put the dough in heat if they're not in heat. And then, you know, if you're going to use up cover-up scents, I'd rather just wash my clothes and leave it hanging outside than to put anything on it. Because people say, oh, I'll put skunk piss and this, that, and that, all kinds, uh, you know. Fox urine. I said, "Why would you want to use any predatory urine? That's a that's an alarm system. That's danger. You know what I mean. And if there's an animal hunting that predator, isn't he going to come to you? this common sense." Yeah, I know. always
1: I always put my clothes in a in a trash bag full of cedar branches. And um, I, I know that that mask a little bit, but
2: I mean a little bit helps every now and then. Yeah, I'd be honest with you. It's just. I always say no sense is the best sense. Just pay attention to the wind and your direction and entry and point back, back and forth. Um, I mean, I've seen a lot of people use sense, but they use it the wrong way. You know what I do? Um, and I don't know if this might work if you guys using uh, any kind of other stuff. Like I would cut the tarsal glands off of a buck and collect the urine. And I would put it in the fridge in a glass bottle and I would wait another year or two before I actually introduce it to the environment. Because why? Because every animal species has social status groups. So if all the deer in that area know that buck is around, you know, they're gonna be alarmed. But if that buck disappears, and then two or three years later, there's another group or another buck or another dominant animal establishing himself, you introduce that scent to the area, that becomes uh, an, eye, an eye opener and he's like, going to come and check it out. You know, it's basically more of a curiosity scent but also an aggression scent because the deer themselves will notice that this scent is foreign because, you know, this is an animal that was killed maybe years ago and it's no longer around. So these are different, you know, animals in the area. So I was wondering, when you watch these videos of people using primate scents and stuff like that, um, I don't know the effect of how it's going to work. But, you know this is just something that I'm always curiosity. me. Mean, how do you introduce different sense? You have sexual sense, curiosity sense, and dominancy sense in the, in, the, in the animals in heat. So, you know, how do you introduce that to that particular environment at the particular time of the year? This is the problem. Unless you study the wildlife and know exactly what's going on, see the patterns changing, it's hard to do that. So sometimes when I look at, that Gary talking a lot of researchers. They tried to experiment with so many different things. It's fine in the end. But I think you should introduce your scent, natural scent, to the environment, like, weeks or maybe a month in a- in- ahead of schedule if you're going to be in that particular – if you got time to, like, camp out or whatever. I'm not saying just do it the same day. But I think no scent is the best scent and just you know, a slow approach. What do you guys think?
1: Before, let me ask you a question since we're on this kind of topic. Um, I wouldn't think that primate scent would be an attract attractive thing to to Bigfoot. How about how about what you say?
3: No, I don't think so either. Uh, you know, primates uh, primates are attracted to the the scent that's specific to that particular primate, and right. uh, I doubt seriously Bigfoot's going to be interested in gorilla scent or uh, human scent. Yes, or, I have
2: to agree with uh, that, yes, and, and they've
0: never and they've uh, never been around those primates. Uh, Huh? Yeah, they've never been around those primates, so they'd be totally unfamiliar with it.
3: Exactly. exactly. It just a, it'd just be a peculiar scent to them. I mean, it would, I don't think there's any attraction. And I, I know you and I have had this discussion before, Will, that I just laugh when I see all these groups that go out there. Oh, we hung primate scent estrus in the, oh, it the that, trees. Oh, was that the
0: TV show? They oh, my. that TV show that what is it? The uh, I can't think of the name. What they call it? One, the newest one that's out. They uh, they took a drone and they took. Um, primate oh, fer-
3: beyond
0: the trail no um the tv show um, um i can't think of it i don't pay attention oh i know which
3: one you're yeah, talking I, I about pay. they had it they had it attached to a drone or something right. they're, flying it and this
0: person's a primatologist yeah. of all things and she takes primate pheromones and they spray it all over you know from hell to breakfast Was all over the forest area from a drone well number Was one is the
1: olympic project
0: no 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 it's a tv show Oh, okay. uh, Expedition Bigfoot, I yeah. think. So number one, yeah, yeah,
3: in the woman, in the woman, doesn't she have long blonde hair or something? I, and she's, I, a, she's supposed to be an anthropologist. She, yeah. She's a, yeah, she's a
0: primatologist. She should know better. Oh, a
3: primatologist. So number okay. one, it
0: tells me that's a shotgun approach. You're just throwing stuff out there any old place, hoping, hoping something will stick to the wall when you throw it. And secondly, yeah. she should know these creatures would be totally unfamiliar with any other primates because there's been no exposure whatsoever.
3: Yeah, and they'd probably put them off anyway. I mean, oh, yeah. they're probably like, "Oh, I'm I'm
0: leaving." <laughs> and first, you know how it is with in, in the primate world. If if it's something that doesn't belong in their area, they're
2: extremely wary of it.
3: Oh, they're gone. They're exactly.
2: Yeah, I, mean, I, I agree with you hundred percent, and you're you're hundred percent right. You can't introduce scent that is not in that area. Is that is foreign? Anything that's foreign doesn't matter what it is. It's not of its nature and in in that in that particular environment. So it's going to be a very alarming. Uh, thing. Another thing, too, I, I'm watching these shows and I see people knocking on the trees with a baseball bat. <laughs> you know, I'm going to be honest with you. If there is a big, if Bigfoot is out there and he kind of like wants to let you know that he's, you know, eyeballing you, he'll probably knock on a tree once or twice and then he'll, it'll be dead silent. And meanwhile, he could be horseshoeing around you and walking, checking you out. You know, because they if they, they would be an animal of curiosity first and foremost. But the problem is, if you start banging on a tree, now you're showing total aggression. How do you know if that banging that he did says, you know, stay out of my area, I just want to be left alone. So now you're going over there, banging the hell out of this tree, making a fool out of yourself, and all you're doing is disrupting the wildlife, and pushing them further out away from you. You know, the best approach is the quietest approach, I would believe, and then as a, as a research team, you know, and I started getting involved, but I do it because I'm a survivalist, so I got these guys I gotta be responsible for, teaching them all kinds of stuff. But as a research team, the, the whole team, everybody set, has a protocol and said, you know, collect data and everything, and all that data goes to the team leader, whoever's responsible, and that's theirs. Not other groups, not bouncing around, but the thing is we need to educate uh, people in general that if they do believe in Bigfoot, if they do find the track and th- to call immediately. Don't call six weeks later with a photo. Um, have a, guys come and measure this track. Uh, make some measurements. Take some photos. Um, you know, so we can check it out. Analyze it. Whether it's true or not, I'm not going to tell the person, hey, what you're looking at is not what you're looking at. I'm not going to debunk them. What I'm going to do is analyze it and then come to my team to say, hey, you know what? What do you guys think? You know how many tracks I've checked out and I had to literally debunk them personally because it's not a track. You know, you're talking about snow. You know, if a person steps with your boot, your boot and then and it's snowing today, and then the humidity drops, that freaking track is ten times wider. Okay, and it spreads out. There's a lot of things that happens to a track. Same thing with coyote track and and deer track. You know, and people say, "Wait a minute, what what does the deer track got to do with it?" When you look at the deer hoofs, each inch of a hoof the distance of a hoof you know uh the length of it determines on the, the age of the, the animal and the weight the body weight the same thing like when you look at a coyote track he steps on a track in the snow go to that track two three weeks later that track looks like a damn wolf track it's 10 times the size so if people today find something try to analyze it real quick right there and then and get uh everything measurements the whole nine yards but i guess you know not too many people are into it like that but it's a shame because there might be a lot of evidence out there that is totally lost and it gets all messed up because they're not doing it at the proper time.
0: You're exactly correct.
3: Well, it's funny that you made mention of the, the uh, whacking wood on trees and such, because uh, again, we've we'll, we'll <laughs> <laughs> because I mean, the point being is that, uh, you know, just like you said, uh, wood knocks, whoops, and even screams that you've seen all these people doing on TV, you have no earthly idea what that means to a Bigfoot. Well, and you know have exactly. no idea why a Bigfoot is doing it. So why in the heck would you be doing it when you have no idea what, in fact, I mean... There's, you have no idea
0: what well, you're portraying you, to them. It, it, again, so well again, it's it's got two things that they're trying to accomplish with it. Number one, it's a shotgun approach because they have no idea what they're doing. So they're just trying anything to try to elicit a response. And secondly, if it's on TV, well, they have – you know how it is with this subject. It's uh, evidence is very non-tangible most often. So they're trying to give yes. – the impression that they have something tangible for an audience, and and in regards to wood knocking, um, when you look back through the history of the subject, that's something that was never, never, ever talked about. Whistling mm-hmm. by the Native Americans, that was number one. Yes, uh, yes. And and we get people now that have heard whistling, you know, that we bring it up and talk about. It, they listen for it. Uh, the screams we've got two locations currently right now where there's a bunch of screams going on some really good stuff I got people going in to record that stuff um, let's see where was I going Oh on the wood knock thing too it, you know if you go out and try that that doesn't that noise doesn't carry very far in the woods you know because all the other vegetation will absorb those sound waves pretty quickly uh, yeah. it's more likely it's tongue popping.
2: You know uh getting to what you say as I said a hundred percent man you guys are fantastic you guys are actually bringing it out on the open it was just so true. um I learned one thing um, when you learn to call like I turkey hunt you know using a turkey call and natural animal calls at times actually attracts different animals I've called I've actually was calling turkey and attracted deer right to me um, so if you look at other wildlife. Um, calls, you know, like squirrel hunting. I would just take two stones. I don't go out there and, uh, you know, I would just take two little stones and tap them to each other. Hide behind a brush, tap the stones and you see all these squirrels coming out of the top of the tree, just popping in check out what it is. So these little minute sounds um, like you said, the whistling sounds, even a a small little fluke, like You know, a flute maybe that'll work. Mm -hmm. Um, Try something that is uh, more of a curiosity, interesting thing. Even use natural animal sounds because if there is a squatch out there and he's looking for food range, or maybe he's got, um, maybe he's detected you, but he doesn't know exactly what you are. And then all of a sudden, you make a turkey call or make another animal call. He might be attracted to come in further because now you're something that's a natural from his natural environment not something that he's going to be a little too spook. You actually got his uh, nervousness a little bit calmed down because if they're bipedal and they have something in relation to us, uh, you know, we really don't know what they are, what they do, uh, what attracts them. We have to try to try different things, but I like to try different stuff in, in its natural environment, its natural state, as much as possible. I don't want to sound like a human and act like a human and make a lot of noise. I want to be as quiet as possible. Um, in survival, like in what we do, is like even with the tracks. One of the things I used to tell people when they go hiking. Here's a little tip too, guys. Um, take a piece of tin foil and put it on your floor, on your mat, on the floor, and step in it with your boot. It's going to leave an imprint of your boot. Take that, sign your name, your age, your date, and your whereabouts, and put it on the dashboard of your car. So in case you get lost in the woods, I can go look at that track, and then I can know what track I'm looking at to go track you and find you.
0: That's a you good know? tip. So
2: as a, safety, mm-hmm. good as, a sa- as a safety tip. So in the same sense, if you think there's a Sasquatch in the area and he's using in an area on a consistent basis, I would rate the dirt like I do with some animals. Okay, I would rake the dirt out and I would put light powder on it, baby powder, and then mix it with the dirt a little bit so that when he does step on it, even if he steps on it lightly and and doesn't give too much of a track, wherever he's go, he's going to leave the powder residue. So same thing like the deer or the bear, especially the bear. That's why I do it with the bear, you know? And um, so basically, you know, these are a lot of different things you can do. And even with the perimeter in the camping site, you know, um, I, I don't like to put alarms and nothing around, but 75, uh, a circle perimeter, I would put the, you know, the trip wires and I would put a little percussion cap so that it makes a little tiny, like a light firecracker sound. Only if something comes in the camp way too close to give us time to get, you know, uh, alert, but you don't want to disturb an area and set up cameras and all. They listen. You, everything you touch leaves scent. You know, if you look at a trapper, why does a trapper wear r- rubber gloves every time he sets his traps? Because it leaves scent. Anything you touch leaves scent. A lot oh. of guys grab. I'm watching these shows and they're using their bare hands. Don't mm-hmm. you know you leave scent? You don't even know what the scent levels of this animal is in their nose, or what they can breathe and what they can do and what they can sense. We don't know nothing about them. We're still learning.
0: Well, we know they use scent sometimes because we get many reports in, in historical reports of them sniffing the air, you know, and maybe yeah. not see being able to see a person, but they sniff. people have watched them sniff the air. Uh, and also primates are, all primates are highly intelligent. So as Forrest will attest that, uh, like game cameras, for instance, the reason they don't work is because you put the game camera out in their area. And they avoid it like the plague because it doesn't belong there. But now in your situation, you had the camera on your house. So that belongs to a human dwelling and they didn't pay any attention to it.
2: You know, one of the things that kind of intrigued me was I watched a video with a girl walking by and this deer was like trying to jump on her and literally trying to rape her because, you know, fortunately, you know, she, she had her period and you know, this is a deer now. So what makes you think that. If a woman is in estrus, or any animals is in estrus, that it doesn't attract anything. It could attract dogs. It can attract... You know, it's amazing how a dog can find another dog miles away, so okay. a deer. Um, you know, I've heard of deer traveling up to 28 miles to come out into an area and breed a doe and then go travel back that 28 miles. So, it's... You know, we don't know. We don't know, you know, but we can try... To analyze certain things and then take a log down log everything down and figure out what to see what works and what didn't work And just because it didn't work today doesn't mean it's not gonna work tomorrow Right? You know, um, I told the guys when we hunt hunting survivalists, even with the animals You know every animals a different animal and it has to be studied accordingly, you know, you have to Learn something about the animal now you say white-tailed deer if I ask you guys right now, how many species of white-tailed deer are there?
3: I couldn't answer that. I know there's, uh,
2: right. I think there's a, a variety of them. Right. There's 26 subspecies of white-tailed deer. The deer's intestines are 67 feet long and they got three stomachs. This is the reason why they can hold up in different temperature changes for days without eating because they already filled up the night before. So if a, we don't know even the digestive tract of a squash. Um, if, you know, if this food source is so less abundant, how are they able to hanging it out long, you know, and deal with with so much stress, you know, and, you know, as beautiful as nature it is, it is just as deceiving and dangerous as as anything else. Um, There's a lot of things you got to look at. Like I said, I mentioned once before about the food source and the plant vegetation, uh, the game in the area. You know, why do you think Native Americans, Indians used to travel and follow the herds because they knew the herds weren't going to stay there because the plant species died and they had to go move to different areas to range. And if the herds moved, so would the squash, wouldn't it be?
0: that's right listen everyone we're running short on time um any final thoughts or questions
2: oh i just want to thank you guys for having me on the show and
0: interesting and where where can people see the pictures that you got
2: um i send them to gail and i think i sent them to your uh page if i'm not mistaken your um facebook page
0: okay i'll I'll put them up on the uh the grg take a look
2: like i said you know I, i i myself would consider that a shadow but to trigger my cameras it has to be motion
0: well, it's, so it's, it's kind of weird
2: sure. but like i said i'm a flesh and blood guy you know and uh, i am realistic <laughs> with certain things and but you know i'm not going to doubt any of the different opinions and different ideas and different situations because we don't know we're st- we don't know nothing about this uh animal we're still learning if we didn't know you know we would really know where to go and what to do but unfortunately we got millions of dollars of technology and equipment and thousands of researchers and we're still looking for an answer
0: chuck forrest any final thoughts or comments
1: bill this has been a very interesting conversation with you and and i appreciate you coming on and um thank you for coming on
2: my pleasure no i thoroughly you enjoyed
3: it. i've learned a lot about hunting
2: now <laughs> <laughs> no it's always great You guys to have are somebody. amazing and much love from us from new york and from the nybs and from gail and everybody else she's a fantastic researcher
0: she is um
2: is. keep up the great work guys uh you guys are amazing thank you for having me on the show and like i said check it out it's you know it's what came on the camera i can't say it is and i can't say it ain't but until then the you know if i found it interesting so We'll keep
0: All right. trying. I'll, uh, for folks listening, I'll put the pictures on the, uh, on Facebook, the JRG Research Group page, so you can take a look, and also take a look at Gail Beatty's uh, page. So thanks, file everyone, and uh, that's it for this episode.
1: Thanks for listening to this
2: episode of Creek Devil. If you or anyone you know has had an encounter with these creatures,